All right, 10 things about which we were wrong. Oh, wait, hold on, hold on. Oh, yeah, I don't care about the numbers. Welcome to another D3 Datacast. Matt, in the words of NSYNC, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Oh, yeah. How they, are you doing? They invent. I didn't know that was from NSYNC. They invented that 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 phrase. That's good. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Pretty okay. sure. Cool. I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Merry Christmas, right. everyone. Merry Christmas out there in YouTube land. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Yes. Yeah, so the we had a more abbreviated week, Matt, and so that's allowing us to do this show a little bit early, so we can get it packaged up and ready uh, to be under the tree there on Christmas morning in our usual Monday time slot. But, um, you know, I think there are still some things worth talking about. Matt, is there someone that you think won the week for you this past week? I, I got two. I'll give you my first one first and then my second one second. That's the order I'm going to go. Uh, who won like the week for order. me is, is Hampton, Sydney. They got the big road win against John Carroll. I think that was the biggest game played this week. Uh, it was a convincing scoring margin. Hampton, Sydney has now beaten Christopher Newport, Widener, Swarthmore, Randolph, Macon, and John Carroll. I think usually this time of year, it's really easy to default your number one team to someone who's still undefeated. Hampton Sydney does have that one loss to Guilford, but I think that they're still in the consideration to be number one, even above a team like uh, who, who's in like Oswego State, Calvin, other teams that are right in that mix as well. Um, even though we have some undefeated teams, Hampton Sydney with the one loss, probably the most impressive resume out there in terms of wins. So I think that they they won the week. Also, who up the second my second choice winning the week. Uh, me and my family, Zach, because we got your family's Christmas card in the mail uh, yesterday as we record this. So thank you for thinking of us this this Christmas season, Zach. Really, really appreciate that. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, you know, I have a lot to do with it. So if it was <laughs> up to me, you probably wouldn't have gotten a card in the mail. Just not because, you know, I am a Grinch or uh, I wasn't thinking of you. It's just, you know, that's not really my department. So okay. uh, fortunately, the boss has that well under control uh, in our in our household. All right, Matt, for me, I'm going to go similarly, but I'm going to expand it. Hampton Sydney certainly was, you know, had the big win. I'm going to, but I want to talk about the ODAC as a whole, right? I think, I think the ODAC really won the week. Yeah. For me, we've talked about how great of a league it is, um, but maybe we have to think about it even deeper than we did before, right? So we, Hampton Sydney goes on the road, beats John Carroll, but Matt, within the conference, Shenandoah got a win over Guilford. Um, so they stay undefeated. You know, with that win, you can't really at this point look at the undefeated record and say, well, who have you played? Because now they've played Guilford. They've beaten Guilford. Um, just looking at updated rankings, they're now 44th in the Massey ratings and 44th in the D3 Datacast computer rankings. So, you know, top 50, you know, maybe some top 20 voters start to defer to that uh, undefeated record. That would give the ODAC five possibly rankable teams in the top 25. Um, just, just crazy. Now, um, I noticed, uh, Lynchburg fell out of the top 100 on the, in the D3 Datacast computer, um, rankings or, uh, but, uh, inside Massey, the Massey ratings still have nine teams within the top 100. Yeah. You know, Matt, we talk about the depth of the UAA. That's all, that's only an eight team league. So they can't get nine teams in the top 100. The ODAC, uh, has that currently. Yeah, I think the ODAC right now is every bit as good as the UAA, at least when you talk one through eight or top one through nine. Um, UAA eight-team leagues, so they don't have those teams at the bottom, but the ODAC has, I think, every bit as quality kind of at that top two-thirds of the league. I think you're right about that. All right, so Matt, there's a few games that we wanted to get into just kind of quickly before we get into our uh, topic of the week where we are going to eat some crow, some humble pie, and talk about 10 things we were wrong about 
Matt, but uh, just real quickly, Wednesday, we got a really big uh, matchup uh, between Unbeatens and Elmhurst and Shrine, number 15 in all the land and number 19 in the current top 25. Matt, uh, it was Elmhurst uh, overcoming a halftime deficit to get an 81-74 win. Uh, Illinois Wesleyan already found this out. Now Trine finds this out. Do not mess with second half Elmhurst. Yeah, really great. I think that's 51 points in this game in the second half. A great offensive output there in the second half. Trine's really good on defense as well. Now they were, were missing um, Emmanuel Minangolo, who has a lot to say on defense, but but still that's the rest of the team is, is good uh, defensively as well. To give 51 points in the half to Elmhurst, um, I think that says a lot about what Elmhurst can do offensively. So really good um, result for the Blue Jays. I think that they were looking for a big non-conference win, and this is one. They definitely belong in the non-con or in the national conversation. And to me, they they look like the the top of the CCIW right now. Yeah, they do. But it'll still be interesting to see how that CCIW race unfolds. Uh, they've have gotten out to the start here, but Matt, that was largely by beating other contenders at home. So what's keeping me a little bit reserved on Elmhurst as it relates to them being the CCIW favorite. Uh, while I think they are the favorite, I just, you know, it's tough to win on the road. They defended home court. Let's see what happens as they get into road games in the CCIW. Um, but Matt, elsewhere, number 22, Trinity took down Washington and Lee, um, you know, one of those ODAC teams. Yep. Um, Trinity looks really good uh, and they, they may be the best team in Texas right now. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's almost certainly the case that they're the best team in Texas. They look great. Um, top 25 worthy for sure. Um, could be looking at hosting like a Texas pod later on in this, um, you know, come March. And another one, Matt, we'll get to this one in our picks. Uh, Mount Union um, seems to have righted the ship. We've talked about some of the uneven results maybe they've had so far, but they get an 11 point win over St. John's yeah. down in Florida, 76 65. Yeah, really, really good win for Mountain Union. Nice to see them rolling. Um, I think that, you know, they haven't, to me, they haven't performed to my expectations early in the season. And, um, you know, a result like this gets them back in that direction. Um, and then, Zach, I think one more I was keeping an eye on was Widener and Carthage, same day Wednesday. Widener was out to a really big lead. Um, Carthage came all the way back, but it was Widener in the end taking an 81-78 win at home. Uh, two teams definitely trying to be in the mix. Widener in the in the rankings there. Carthage trying to be make, be players in the CCIW. We know that's usually a strong league. Um, so that was a good game. It was a little bit uneven game because Widener jumped out early, then Carthage came back late, but it ended up being a three-point margin, which was maybe maybe kind of what we expected. Yeah. The only problem being that's probably not all we need to say about Carthage from this past week, Matt. We we talked about Elmhurst as a CCIW contender. Carthage, I think, probably still has to be thought of as a CCIW contender. But they followed up that loss to Widener, which, while certainly understandable, um, they followed that up with a loss to Ursinus, who was coming off a 32-point loss to Ohio Northern. So not a great week for Carthage. Um, I think you know, their, their standing as a top 25 team yeah. is you know toast for now. Um, and we'll see what happens as they get back into CCIW play. Yep. Yeah. They have, they have a lot of work to do, I think ahead of them. All right, Matt. So there's no poll. I don't think, uh, you're not going to be filling out another ballot until after the new year, but I did want to ask if there's just anything that as a top 25 voter that you're thinking about looking for, um, even though you're not having to put together a ballot this week. I think for me at this point, we, we talked about some of the results already this week. Uh, for me, looking at those kind of uh, post-Christmas, those pre-New Year's games, we have the, the D3Hoops.com Classic in Vegas in particular. So looking ahead to some of those games, I think there's a couple of teams that I'm voting for pretty high that I have not really, in my mind, seen play another kind of top opponent. 
Um, so I think we'll maybe talk about some of those games later on, but that's kind of what I'm looking forward to. I'm kind of glad maybe that there's not a poll this week because some of those teams I wouldn't know where to place. Um, I'd maybe knock them down just because I'm not as confident in them as I am against someone who I've seen play some maybe top 25 caliber teams. Uh, so that's kind of what I'm looking forward to as a voter before my January one poll is seeing a few more of these tournaments and getting a, a, another look at some of these kind of cross-regional, cross-country matchups that we have. All right, sounds good, Matt. So as we mentioned, we wanted to we wanted to run through some things that, well, maybe we thought earlier in the year or coming into the year that just haven't come true that we were wrong about, and we want to be honest with our audience, Matt. We're not always correct. I know that yeah. is hard to believe. Uh, we try to have good opinions and and analysis, but as it turns out, sometimes those are incorrect. Yeah, I don't. So we think... have ten things. I don't think anyone's yes, shocked have... to hear that we're occasionally wrong, you know. No, probably not. Uh, least of all our families. However, uh, Matt, we came up with a list. It could have been much longer than this, but we came up with a list of 10 things that we were wrong about. Uh, presented in not really any particular order. Uh, so let's just say that off the bat. Uh, but Matt, are the 10 things that we came up with that we were wrong about, let's start off with number one is that uh, you know, this season, let's just run it back with last year's final four teams at the top of the rankings. Um, I think when we were um, part of the uh, the QCAST top 25 panel coming into the year, I think three of these four teams were listed in, in, in that segment. We were talking about, yeah. you know, surefire top 10 teams or top 10 for that preseason poll uh, with uh, Swarthmore being the one exception, although they were yeah. still going to be a consensus top 25 team. So here we go, Matt. We see here um, Christopher Newport was the preseason number one. Wisconsin Whitewater, the preseason number two. Mount Union, the preseason number five. Swarthmore, the preseason number 11. So this wasn't just our opinion, right? It was yeah. the opinion of the collective top 25 poll that, hey, last year's uh, Final Four teams were going to be, uh, you can say all four of them, contenders to get back this year. Um, but I think at this point in the season, we have to take a different opinion. Yeah, I think they've all taken a step back to, to, to varying degrees. Um, Christopher Newport, we've seen a few early season losses. They had some injuries. Now, Zach, we're maybe hearing news that they also are dealing with uh, a suspension to Trey Barber. So we'll have to hear, hear more information um, about that as well, what, what the situation is there. Um, but I've, I've knocked Christopher Newport down to 25 in, in my poll. Um, UW-Whitewater, I, I had or I had up toward the top of my poll preseason. Now I'm voting them more in the middle of the poll. I think they're the one team that's maybe still hanging on to some, some hopes of jumping right back up into that mix. Uh, Mountain Union, we talk about some of their struggles. They lost to Wilmington. They've had some just other like overtime games against, you know, teams that aren't really in the kind of top 100 discussion. Um, I have them unranked, although the rest of the voting voting body is, is kind of more mid-tier on Mount Union. And I think we talked even last week about Swarthmore, how they have three losses by 20 or more points already this season. They have not looked top 25 caliber. Uh, as of the last poll, they did hang on to that number 25 spot. I, I'm, I'm guessing that's going to be gone at this point. I, I did not rank them. I did not rank Mount Union in my last poll. So yeah, these teams are, we, we thought that they were returning good cores and we know every team has to replace something, but these teams all had promising cores or at least promising enough players returning that we thought that they could continue to, to build back around them and they would be right back in the mix. Um, certainly, you know, top 25 discussion, maybe they will find themselves in the mix, but they have not separated themselves from any number of other good programs that have been on the rise. And in fact, I think have proven themselves to be behind a number of those programs. So uh, not really in the mix anymore to be really at the top of the poll. At this point, there's still work to do, right? So none of this is definitive, but 
I think these teams have all taken a backseat to other contenders. Right. I think those cores that they we talked about returning, you know, do exist. The potential is there for mm-hmm. these teams to, uh, you know, get back to that level we saw from them at the end of last season. And, you know, we're not talking about you know, disaster seasons by any means here. It's just that, yeah. like you said, these teams are just sort of in a mix with a bunch of other teams rather than, you know, being that lead pack that a bunch of other teams are are trying to uh, trying to catch. Yeah, for sure. All right, number two on our list here, Matt. We thought maybe this year the NESCAC would be down and maybe you know the, the order of teams looks a little bit different or maybe not exactly how we expected. But you know when you stack up how the NESCAC as a whole has performed uh, compared to other, um, other conferences uh, here, you know, we, we can see on the screen here from the D3 Datacast computer ratings that the NESCAC ranks out as the number four team in division three basketball. So we're still talking about a top, top five league here. Um, you know, I, I don't think that you can fairly say the NESCAC is down. Yeah, I don't think so. I think they're right back in the top four or five, like we kind of expected. And in, in fact, they're rating right above the WIAC, um, who's maybe having a little bit of an atypical WIAC year, but these are all good leagues. These are all strong leagues, the leagues that we expect to be in the mix at the top. And the NESCAC is still one of them. And I think in, in the preseason, in the early season, when we were looking at rosters of teams, it looked like the NESCAC of kind of these more powery conferences. Just in general, the teams toward the top had to replace more than the average amount. If you're thinking like points and rebound totals, um, like I, I think, uh, like Tufts, a team who's great, like maybe one of the top three or five teams in the country right now. Um, they, in, in my little quick, like jotting down, figuring some numbers, they had to replace like 50% of their, their minutes and points types production from last year. And, and they found a way to do that. And they found a way to do that with a roster that's still, I think, fairly young. I think they only have a couple of seniors maybe on that, on that team. So, um, they, they look good. Trinity, Connecticut has really come on strong. Um, you know, Williams, I think was maybe the one team that was more of a consensus favorite in the league. And they're kind of maybe like a solid third or, or, or so. Uh, right now. So th- I think there's a, a number of strong teams. I think the league as a whole is has not really taken a step back. Um, others like Wesleyan and Connecticut College are coming on strong as well. So I think there's a good, a good core, a good group he- here that's going to make a very, um, very interesting conference race and then a very interesting NESCAC tournament down the line. And we're going to be talking about, you know, more, more than one, more than two of these teams in the NCAA tournament at the end of the year. So NESCAC, a- end of the day, right back where we thought they would be. And then a conference that maybe is not where we thought they would be, Matt. Moving on to number three on our list here. Things that we were wrong about, the CCIW is a top five league, right? You can generally count on the CCIW year in and year out to be a top five league. And whether you're looking at the D3 Datacast computer ratings or the Massey ratings, the CCIW does not currently rank as a top five league. No, and and usually I think top five is even a little bit like conservative very often you right. can say they're a top three or four league very easily. Uh, not this year. Um, I think there's a combination of maybe some other leagues like the ODAC really pushing into that, that top tier, but also the CCIW has really just taken a step back. They're not, they're not the teams. There's not the strength at the top that we're used to seeing here in the, the efficiency ratings you can see on the blue and gray boxes. They're the number 10 league. They're like, it's like Matt Commonwealth and Jack American rivers, new Mac. And then the CCIW, like these are the teams. Um, Massey's a little bit higher on them at the number seven rating, but still right there around the American rivers and Matt Commonwealth. So um, good leagues, still a, still a good league overall. It's just not in the same tier. It's not tier one league this year. It's a tier two league in my mind. Um, and that's just not what we're used to seeing for the CCIW. 
we're used to seeing like not are they going to get a pool C bid, but how many pool C bids are they going to get this year? Um, question of is this is there a, there's a, there's definitely a world in which the CCIW does not get an at large bid into the NCAA tournament. Um, you know they still could, but there's there's definitely like reasonable paths out there for them to get a pool A only, and that's it. And to bring it down a level, kind of help explain how we get to this point, Matt. I went back looking through the Massey archives, and you go back to since uh, Carol rejoined the league, and the CCIW has always had six or seven teams inside the Massey top 100. Right now, that's just three. Yeah. Right. So you're talking about six or seven every year. They're only half of that or worse. So it, it's, um, you know, just not what we're not the depth that we're used to seeing, no. certainly from no. the, uh, the CCIW. And then also not like that super national contender, yep. um, you know, final four threat at the top. We'll see. Maybe, maybe someone emerges, maybe Elmhurst is that, yeah. but for what it looks like right now, uh, just, we're talking about just a really good league, right? Yeah, not. I mean- an elite league, uh, you know, a surefire top five league. Sort of even leave aside like a final four or elite eight type contender. I think to me, is, is Elmhurst the only like top 25 rankable team really in consideration right now? I think that's probably the case. So yeah, definitely not the, the CCIW we're used to seeing. All right, on to number four on our list, Matt. We thought that the UAA will not only show its usual uh, depth, but really show that true national power, national contender uh, at the at the top as well. Yeah, this one to me is a little bit of a mixed result. I think it's 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 largely not proving out to be exactly as we thought, right? So um, last year we talked about how the UAA was so deep, and and it's and it still is. But the 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 teams were more like middle to back half of the top twenty five. This year was going to be the year that. Um, Case and NYU and WashU and Emory, they're all making those cases to be in the top 10, maybe toward the top five in the country. Uh, to me, that has not really proven out to be the case right now. I think there's still a lot of good teams, but there's still a lot of teams maybe in that mid-tier to to back end of the top 25. Uh, maybe Emory is pushing that boundary a little bit, but I think we expected, I expected, I'll use I statements here, I expected for there to be a couple, two, three um, teams to be right there in that mix of kind of like, pushing that tier one teams like for for top five consideration right now i don't see that i only see maybe emory um i think case still has time to make a case teams like wash u nyu can still um you know they're sitting at like zero or one loss kind of kind of teams they still have opportunities to make that case but we haven't really to me i haven't really seen that uh play out so much all right matt and uh this kind of segues into our next uh thing that we are wrong about here um and that we thought that maybe there would be some transfers that really vault some teams into that that surefire top five status that like elite tier that everyone's trying to chase um and as it relates to the uaa in particular case western reserve nyu kind of had that transfer buzz heading into the season claremont mud scripts as well uh but as we discussed with the uaa here um you know, that really hasn't taken place. We haven't, we haven't seen those transfers propelling uh, these teams to like, you have to have them in your top five. Right. Yeah. And, and I think in, in this sense, um, I think the, the, some of the transfers we're talking about here, right. There was like D2 and D1 type transfers. These three teams on the screen, Case, NYU, Claremont, Mud Scripps, we all heard about like D1 guys joining the fray um, that the, that there was going to be, you know, a, additional power added to these teams. All these were strong teams last year. Like 
are these all going to be pushing for the final four? Are they going to be in the top five? Um, largely, largely no. Again, maybe Case and NYU can still make those push. Um, and we, one team here is not like the other. Claremont Mudscripts has not had a good start to the season at all. Remember in our hot takes and opinions episode, we had like questions, comments about should Claremont Mudscripts be considered as a final four contender? And at the time we thought that was reasonable, right? We didn't reject that out of hand. Uh, they're not that right now. Um, I think Case and NYU are still good, but um, you know they're not that that top top tier type of team. I think other teams that have gotten a lot of transfers, uh, I'll, I'll think of a team like Widener, who has had maybe like two or three or four of their top guys, um, kind of like seniors, be transferring into their program from other D3 programs the last couple of years. Uh, so these are players that have played a lot at the D3 level, at a high level, now coming all, to, coming all to Widener. And they're kind of rising up the charts, maybe not in that elite status. Maybe they're getting up more toward like a Case or an NYU right now. But I don't think what we've seen most years is for a lot of these like D1 guys, guys that didn't really play very much at D1 and D2, coming down and making such a huge impact that they're really moving the needle all that much at the D3 level. They're just kind of coming in and like fitting in. They're not, they're not like bumping those teams up a tier. So I think that's one thing when we talked about transfers, we were gonna have to remember when we talk about transfers next year, that's not just gonna automatically vault a team, or at least we haven't seen that yet at this point this season. Not that it couldn't happen in the future, but I, th I think it makes sense to to be a little bit uh, more reserved about uh, expectations for what that means. All right, Matt, sixth on our list here, closer to home. I think that we were both kind of resigned to the fact that the MIAA uh, is just a one-bid league. And, uh, um, you know, we're happy to see that right now it looks like it's probably a surefire two-bid league. And with uh, looking at projected winning percentage, strength of schedule numbers, uh, you know, even hope as a third team is kind of uh, bubblish, maybe if you're looking at projected resumes uh, and then, you know, depending on how they perform, if they can outperform that projection a little bit, uh, can can definitely be a bubble team as we get there to bring the potential number of um, bids to three when you include the automatic bid. Yeah, last year was a little bit of a frustrating year to follow uh, as uh, fans of MIAA top teams, uh, specifically Calvin and Trine, when they're putting up, um, you know, 22 win seasons each, and then neither of them being in the mix at the end of the year for Pool C consideration. I think last year, Calvin's final strength of schedule was around 507, Trine's was 492. Um, you know, large, there's always more, more you can do out of conference, right? That's always the step is can you, can you, can you schedule even stronger? But last year, the bottom half of the league just did not win enough games out of conference. So when it came time for conference play, it was just continuing to drag down strength of schedule. This, this year has been completely different. Uh, teams like Alma, Kalamazoo, Albion, uh, and to some degree Olivet have, have won some games and are now getting their minimum baseline strength of schedule up. So the rest of the league, when we're coming into conference play, we're looking at projected strength of schedule numbers. We see more pool C viable numbers like trying at 551. That's going to be a, a very solid, a very good strength of schedule. Calvin projecting out, um, kind of heading into the conference tournament play at 533 or hope at 539. These are our SOS numbers that will just keep you in the conversation. Very, very much be in there at, with, with your winning percentage. What do you do? You're very selectable. So right now with the resumes we see, I think we're, we're seeing the MIAA almost certainly being a multi-bid league, whether that's two or three. I think three is probably not super likely unless something kind of 
kind of crazy goes on. That'd be like maybe Hope winning the Pool A again and, and Calvin and Tryon winning enough conference games to still be in the mix. That that could possibly happen, but um, more likely than not, a two-bid league, um, which is interesting. We just talked about the CCIW maybe only being a one-bid league and the MIAA almost certainly being a two-bid league. Um, that's just the, a difference for the year. And we, that's something we were not expecting uh, as fans of MIAA teams coming into the season. As we sit here today, we have six of the eight teams with a winning percentage of 500 or better. And like you said, that's that's key yeah. to developing that strength of schedule. You really need your conference mates to be winning as many games as possible. Um, and and so, Matt, right now, I think the question's not so much, uh, is it a, is it a, only a one-bid league? But it's like, you know, which one of these teams is going to be hosting a pod? Could, and, could be, yeah. Uh, and, and then is it... Is it uh, one more team or is it two more teams yeah. uh, that join the party there, yeah. so to speak? Yeah. Yeah. Not inconceivable. You could be talking about two hosts from the MIAA, um, you know, likely only, only one, only one if there is the chance, but again, what a difference a year makes just in the rest of your league winning games and boosting that strength of schedule out of conference. We won't be too greedy right now, Matt. We'll, we'll just talk about bids as, as, uh, as opposed to uh, multi-host. Yeah. Conference. Yeah, let's, let's get in first. Yeah. All right. Next on our list here, Matt, we thought maybe this would be the year finally that we'd see a little bit of uh, tailing off from Randolph-Macon, or at least the Randolph-Macon we've come to expect yeah. over the, the last uh, few seasons. Now, from a record standpoint, seven and three, you might think, yeah, it, it happened. But if you if you look at uh, some some computer ratings, you know, here we're, we on the screen, we have the national rankings for the current um, computer ratings on d3datacast.com. And look at there, Randolph-Macon ranked by the computer as the number three team in the country. Yeah, uh, it's their their record causes some some concern, but then you look at who they've played and their strength of schedule. The computers all think they've played, you know, one of the most difficult schedules in the country. Um, we, we, we've talked about some of their low point totals they've put up. I was looking at d3datacast.com earlier today, and they've played against the number one opposing defenses uh, of, of any teams. They're playing against strong defenses. They're still 7-3. and three. They're playing against one of the toughest schedules. So the computer says, hey, they're right here in the mix. If anyone else played against the schedule, they wouldn't even be 7-3 and three, is kind of what the computers are saying. They'd be worse than that. Uh, so yeah, Randolph-Macon, they don't have, there's no Buzz Anthony this year. There's no Miles Mallory this year. There's no Josh Talbert. Guys that we've seen you know, from that national championship team two years ago and the, and the strong team last year. Some of those guys, some of those guys are kind of still there. There's there's program momentum, um, but but it's it's kind of a new set of guys that are coming coming in, and uh, maybe they're not the class of the ODAC because of how strong that league is. But I think they're going to be right there in the mix nationally. I think that they have a very good chance to be in the tournament discussion. And who knows, come March, maybe Randolph Macon makes more waves, and we're talking about them as a second weekend team or beyond once again. Amazing to see. If we talk about, you know, there's great teams and there's great programs. Pretty yeah. obvious. I don't think there was any doubt already, but Randolph-Macon is a great program, yeah. right? They're just reloading and and uh, just doing what they do. Yep. All right, Matt. Another thing we thought coming into the season was that the Centennial would be a two-team race, and that turns out to very much not be the case right now. Right. It's just, it's just going to be Johns Hopkins and Swarthmore, right? Just as it's been the last right. several years, these two teams – they're going to split in the, the, the regular season and come Centennial Conference Championship game. One of them is going to be the Pool A. The other one's going to be a Pool C. And then like that's the whole Centennial conversation. Um, not so fast, my friend, I think is what you say here. 
uh, right now that the, I don't, I, there's probably not a whole lot of separation between teams like Johns Hopkins, like Franklin and Marshall, like Gettysburg, um, and, and Swarthmore is kind of currently fourth in that list by the efficiency ratings that you can find at d3datacast.com. Um, I, I think that this is going to be a very interesting race. This is going to be the most compelling Centennial Conference race that we've had in a while. Now, it's probably because Swarthmore and Johns Hopkins have taken a step back from those nationally elite teams we've seen the last couple of years. There's still some questions about them. Um, but Franklin and Marshall Gettysburg, very good. They're the types of teams that can reach out and beat someone that's kind of on that, that top 25 mix. So uh, it's a very compelling race. It makes it a more interesting race for us kind of national followers of Division Three basketball. That it's not just going to be two teams at the top and then a whole rest of the, the the league fighting for scraps. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, just in what what's transpired already, I mean, Gettysburg has a win over Johns Hopkins, right? So it's, that's, yeah. that's a result that, you know, it's, it's already happened. Um, and like you said, so part of this is set up because Johns Hopkins and Swarthmore have come back to the pack a little bit. Um, those were two preseason top 25 teams that have not, performed like top 25 teams so far this season. Um, but, you know, don't, you can't hold that against Franklin Marshall Gettysburg, um, especially, you know, Gettysburg's got the the head to head win. Uh, it should be a very compelling um, race. We you know we talked and then even go, there's a little bit of a gap there um, by the computer rankings, but, you know, or sinus, we talked about beating Carthage. Carthage yeah. um, uh, Muhlenberg knocked off. I believe it was Hopkins last season. Right. So, I mean, there, there's even some, um, some more teams beyond that top four that uh, create a bit of a danger zone for the likes of Hopkins and Swarthmore to, as they try to maybe reestablish themselves as the uh, the two clear favorites. Yeah, this will be an interesting conference season to watch, I think. All right, Matt, another conference we need to talk about that I don't think we were we were, that we were not right about. I will say we were not right about. We thought the ASC would be in the middle of the national picture, Matt. Uh, Mary Harden Baylor was the preseason number 15 team. Uh, East Texas Baptist was the preseason number 20, and neither team is even on a top 25 radar at no. this point. Um, and and the ASC uh, just really it is there's there's not like there's been another team that's really emerged as a top 25 uh, contender to replace these teams. So the mm-hmm. ASC is really kind of off the national picture for the at least for the time being. Yeah, when you're looking at the computer efficiency rating line, Mary Harden Baylor, the number 146 team in the country, East Texas Baptist, number 215. Uh, the top two right now by my computer is UT Dallas at number 90 and Harden Simmons at number 92. So yeah, not not really any nationally elite teams. This was a conference that we thought would have almost certainly a pool C bid coming into the season. Um, I remember I had East Texas Baptist just off of my top 25 ballot. And on our first episode, that was one thing you kind of uh, not questioned me on, but but asked about what was my thought process there because they were almost a consensus. By the known, you know, we had some known and, and some unknown uh, ballots before the preseason. They were almost consensus by some of the known ballots. And I, and I had them really close. I, I tried to put them on my top 25. Uh, and, and they have not gotten any really good results this year. So uh, ASC has, it's not been what we expected. Uh, we know that conference is going through some um, some turnover as far as membership, and they're going to be in a membership crisis. But right now that the conference isn't a basketball crisis uh, because there are not very many good teams in that league right now. Matt, you still have to think that the potential exists for whoever to emerge out of that conference. And it may, you know, like you said, the, the 
the situation we're in now, it's probably only going to be whoever wins that the league's bid to the tournament. But you wonder if someone gets right and can can cause some trouble, um, uh, you know, down the line. I don't know. It's just it's just that at, at what point do you completely let go of any expectations you had coming into the season and and just deal with what we actually have in front of us? Yeah. Well, and and part of the reason we were high on some of these teams, uh, I'll say Mary Harden Baylor and ETBU in particular was, we know there's some great individual players, some great talent on the team. And we thought that, that, yep. that it would kind of gel around them. And, and I just don't, I just don't really see that having been the case yet. So again, maybe, maybe it's a case of someone figuring it out uh, down the stretch, but I, don't, I haven't seen it yet at this point. All right, Matt, one more thing that we're going to talk about that we were wrong about, and that is I think we both had had an expectation coming into the season that Maryville would be able to coast to a CCS title. Um, now, I, I picked them very highly when we did our, our way-too-early com- conference champions draft. I was very confident in their ability to win the title, and um, I'm, I'm guessing you also had them ranked yeah. very highly. It sounded like uh, Bob Quillman did as well. He... Uh, uh, was disappointed that I made that pick. He thought he would be able to to snag them. Um, now I'm I'm still feeling good. I'm I'm all Team Maryville all the way here. Uh, but it looks like it's not going to be uh, an an easy path to the title necessarily. When we look at the national rankings here, uh, based on the D3 DataCast computer, Maryville currently ranks as the number 69 team, and not far behind them, Matt is Piedmont, a team that we've talked about a little bit, right? We weren't sure what to make of them in the early season. I, it was, I believe, uh, an exhibition with D1 Coastal Carolina. They led, I believe, late in the game, um, pushed them. They had a close game against Emory, and it's like, what's going on with Piedmont? Well, as it turns out, Piedmont is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, currently a top 100 team by the D3 Datacast computer. And another team not too far behind there, Matt, is Bellhaven. Uh, who I have it on good authority um, will mount a challenge to Maryville. Uh, so when you look at those two teams, not, you know, kind of nipping at the heels, at least in terms of the uh, computer rankings here, it doesn't look like Maryville will be able to coast to a CCS title. Yeah, I, to, to me, like you can see on the screen there, they, they might still be the favorite. They probably still are the favorite, but probably not by a large enough that that Piedmont or Bellhaven could be taken lightly. They're, they're going to those are going to be challenging games for Maryville. Um, I think any of those three teams, I think at the end of the day, if they claimed the the CCS regular season crown, we would not be surprised. And yeah, you're right. We all wanted Maryville in the first round of that little uh, conference champions draft that we had back in October. Uh, it doesn't look like it's going to be just, uh, you know, the big one and the little six there in the CCS. So um, yeah, big, good surprise from Piedmont this year. I think they maybe added some uh, D3 talent in the off season. Um, I, I, th- I think it was kind of like fifth year guys joining, joining the, the fray there in Piedmont um, and, and putting them, you know, right, right in the middle of a, of a top 100 race here. So uh, that'll, those will be good games. One to watch for sure. Now the CCS doesn't have a pool a, so their only access to the tournament will be pool C, but it'll be a, just a, still a very interesting um, conference battle uh, as well. So there you have it, Matt. Those are 10 things that we were wrong about. Uh, we'd love to hear from some viewers. What what were you wrong about? What were some things maybe you thought coming into the season or in the early part of the season that as we sit here, you know, towards the end of December, you're you're willing to admit that you were wrong about? Let us know. You can leave a comment here on YouTube. Find us on social media, uh, Facebook or Twitter slash X, whatever you want to call it these days at D3 Datacast. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. All right, Matt, let's move into the picks segment. 
quick review what happened last week, Matt. Uh, Roanoke was a three and a half point favorite over Eastern uh, in a game played at Catholic. And Roanoke was able to cover um, as 79-71 winners. We both pick up the point there. Matt, we were split on trying in Elmhurst. Elmhurst was a three and a half point favorite at home. And in a game we talked about, they were 81-74 winners. So I get the advantage on you. Uh, we both went with Mount Union plus two on a neutral court against St. John's. Mount Union does indeed win outright 76-65. And a game played in Hawaii between Whitworth and Dubuque. Dubuque was a nine-point favorite. Matt, we both thought that was too much, and we were looking good at halftime. Whitworth was uh, ahead by eight at the half, but it's Dubuque who storms back, have a gr- has a great second half, and and – uh, not only wins the game, but covers the nine-point spread, 13-point winners, a 71-58 score there. And the D3 Datacast game of the week. Matt, we've talked about it already. Uh, Hampton City was actually a half-point favorite at John Carroll. You liked the Tigers. I was rolling with the home team, Blue Streaks. And, of course, you were correct by a mile, 85-67. Tally it all up, Matt. We took different paths to three and two records. I uh, am now 21, 13, and one, where you as, whereas you improved to 19, 15, and one, which brings us to week eight. All right. I'll run down the list here. Uh, game one, Mary Washington. They are five point underdogs at Emory. Game number two, UW Platteville, a three and a half point underdogs versus Calvin. This is a game being played at Trine. Uh, WPI is six-point favorites versus Gettysburg. I believe that is on a neutral court. Uh, Tufts is a half-point underdog at Cal Lutheran. And our D3 Datacast game of the week out in Las Vegas, uh, Oswego State, six-point favorites versus Case Western Reserve at the D3Hoops.com Classic. So let's go one by one, Zach. Mary Washington plus five at Emory. Yeah, let's see. I'm going to go Mary Washington on this one. I think uh, I think they'll keep it within five. I, I'll, this is just a, a play for the points here for me. Okay. Yeah, for me, though, the points are not enough. I'm going to take Emory. Um, I believe this is at Emory, right? So uh, I, think, I think more than five at home is going to be comfortable for Emory. Uh, Platteville plus three and a half versus Calvin. Okay, Matt, I'm going to go with Kelvin in this one. I, um, I'm going to be, I'm going to go total confidence on this one. I'm not going to go for the emotional hedge. Uh, we, we've seen that, uh, it appears Logan Pearson for Platteville has, is in a boot. He didn't play in their last game at North Central, so don't know the situation, but that just gives extra confidence here, Matt, to lay the three and a half with our Kelvin Knights. Yeah, I, th- I thought about that well I, as well. I don't know if Pearson is going to be available for this game or not. Um, we still have, well, as we record, we still have like a week until this game is being played. Uh, but but e- e- either way, I think um, three and a half for me on a neutral court, a court that Calvin has uh, experience playing on, um, I'm going to take the Knights to cover that against Platteville, but it should be a great game. Uh, WPI minus six versus Gettysburg. Matt, I'm going to make this my don't be afraid to lay a bigger number game of the week and go with WPI. Okay, Zach, I think I'm going to disagree with you on this one. I'm going to go with Gettysburg. I know six points is 
Um, that's a big number. So I don't think that, that Gettysburg's going to have a challenge to stay within that. We talked about them being in that mix in the Centennial Conference. I know WPI is good, kind of top 25 type good, but I think Gettysburg is going to be able to hang with them and keep it within that six. Uh, Tufts looks like they're out in California. Zach, who do you pick? Yeah, just about a pick em line here, Matt, with just a half point to play with. Now, maybe I'm not thinking about this game correctly, but I don't expect Tufts to go undefeated this season. And so when I look at their schedule and I look at potential games that they could drop, this one jumps out at me. Uh, Tufts has had, uh, they'll, they'll have had about a three-week break, I believe, between games when they, when they finally get to this one. Uh, Cal Lou, it doesn't appear that they have any big breaks. Uh, they just had a couple games recently against Illinois Wesleyan and uh, Kalamazoo. They're at home. They were playing. They played well. Won yeah. both of those games. I think that consistency will be uh, will aid them. Tufts might be shaking off some rust. So I look at, at this as a, a potential game Tufts could lose. I think Calu is a team that team that people should be talking about more. And so I'm going to go uh, with Kingsman. Very very interesting there. Uh, interesting play. Um, I'm going to maybe take the more conventional route and take Tufts, although I, I understand a lot of what you said. I think it is tough to go East Coast to West Coast to play these games. Um, but to, to me, getting like plus half a point for Tufts, I think Tufts is, I think Tufts is great. I think Tufts is one of the best teams in the country. And I know I, know, I understand what you're saying about Cal Lou, and they're looking like uh, an emergent team in the, in the Skyac here. But to me, this line's just too close. Um, you know, I might bet Cal Lou to cover like a five or six point line, but I think basically a pick them here. I'm going to take Tufts. All right. Game of the week to you, Zachary. Looking forward to this one, Matt, because I feel like yeah. it's it's a, a measuring stick game for both teams that we have really haven't had for either one yet this season. Um, the six points, I think, is a little bit too big and uh you know i already made my don't be afraid to lay a bigger number pick so i'm gonna go with case western reserve on this one okay uh, another one we're gonna disagree on i'm gonna go with oswego state i'm hanging in there with one of my preseason kind of top three picks uh oswego state i think that they're good i want to see them prove it case western reserve um is a team i've watched a couple of times and and we looked at their top five offensive and defensive numbers they're kind of elite on offense but not that great on defense I'm wondering if Oswego State is going to take advantage of that defense and put up a lot of points in this game. So uh, out in Vegas on the neutral court, Oswego to cover the six is my pick. So there you have it. We only agree on one game. All right. So we're going to have, I'm going to be able to make Kelvin. up some ground. Yeah. All right, Matt, let's get into the mailbag. We have a few things to address here, starting with this one from D3 Hoops commenter. Sent it in to our, uh, our uh, face, or excuse me, this one came in on Twitter. Um, we're getting into the time of year, Matt, where we're going to be talking a lot about how the bubble is taking shape, and this this one's kind of getting in. Maybe it's a little early, but we we can we can start talking about it. Farmingdale State were to run the table except for the title game, they'd have a winning percentage of nine twenty nine, but since their projected SOS is so low, would they automatically be out of contention for a pool C? Uh, I think the answer is yes. I'm currently projecting their SOS to be about 466 heading into the Skyline Tournament. Could raise a little bit through the Skyline Tournament, but not that much. I think that's just not going to get them close to the conversation. I think Farmingdale State is Pool A or bust. They do have a nice win over Wesleyan, I think it was. But other than that, I don't really see ranked win opportunities on their schedule. So to have a low SOS, to have maybe just one regionally ranked win, 
Uh, I, I think it doesn't matter if you're if you're nine twenty nine, you're not you're not going to be in the mix there. So they're going to want to win the pool A. Yeah, especially with what we saw last year. You know, you always ask the question like, how low is too low for winning percentage? How low is too low for strength of schedule? I feel like we we got a lot more information on that, at least in terms of how the committee last year viewed that is. Um, I don't want to say there isn't a how low is too low for winning percentage, but we saw some some low winning percentages get boosted up because they had a very high uh, strength of schedule number. So th right, so in the reverse case where you have a very high winning percentage but a low strength of schedule, um, you know, 466 from what we saw last year is just not gonna gonna do it. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how they get treated there in, as we start to see some regional rankings in region three, because there may be some cases where if, if they are around like a 900 winning percentage, how does that get treated with, like I'm just looking right now at like projected um, projected numbers that we have for region three here on d3datacast.com. So like for instance, a Clarkson who has maybe a 520 strength of schedule, but a projected winning percentage of like 647. So that'll give us some indication about their their viability just based on how they get slotted in yeah. region three. I mean, but region I three agree. is going to have a, like, there's four, not going to be a lot of good Even teams. if we were talking, even if we were talking 496, if, you, if that first number is a four, that is definitely problematic. All right, next question. Okay, next one. Matt comes from Drew Latrenta. This one prediction: Which region will have the most pool C bids, and which region will have zero? And I feel like Region Three is going to factor into this answer as well. <laughs> yeah, I think there's going to be questionable teams ranked in Region Three uh, all season long. So Farmingdale could very easily get ranked and get ranked like middle of that. I don't know. I don't know, and just not be viable. So I went and through in in my head region region by region. I think Region One gets at least two. I think Region Two does get at least one. Uh, region three could possibly not have a pool C team. Um, depends on if Oswego State and Hobart win their conferences, the Suniac and the Liberty League, respectively. Um, if they do, I, I don't see a, a, probably a, a pool C out of region three. If either of those drop their games, they'll be pretty pretty pool C viable, I think. Uh, so, so maybe region three is your zero. Um, region four, I see getting two bids at least. Region five, I see getting one bid at least. Region six, I think I see four bids. Uh, region seven, I think I see at least three pool C bids. Region eight, probably one. Uh, there's a chance for zero there. Uh, region one, nine, I think it's at least one. And region 10, I think gets at least one, although there's a path to zero there as well. So I think the most likely to be shut out is region three. Um, if the favorites win, I don't, I don't think that they're going to get a, a pool C possibly eight and 10, maybe, maybe five, you could maybe squint and see region five getting shot out as well. But, but probably those other regions get, get, a, get a pool C team. Um, the region with the most is almost certainly to me, region six, the, the ODAC is probably getting three bids themselves. I think the coast to coast probably comes away with a pool C there and, and maybe Emory, depending on who wins the UAA pool, a Emory could be a pool C as well. They could be the pool a. So even if you give them um, that's four, that's four out of region six. And I think at most someone else could tie them there. If Emory gets the, gets the pool a, if Emory doesn't win the UA, that's five. That's, that's an easy five, I think. Um, so yeah, and all my tallied up, I think I tallied like 18 pool C's or so. So there's four bid thieves in there somewhere. So, um, yeah, I think that's how I see it. Maybe, maybe region six closely followed by region seven and then region three getting shut out possibly. 
should say, Matt, a couple episodes ago, we did the Pool C fantasy draft. Hmm. So, so the list is out there. You can, you know, yeah. and Drew, I knew, I know you saw it. Go back, check the list. We, and, and just, you know, divide them up by, by region. There's yeah. your answer right I there. Didn't, I didn't think about that by region, but, but, um, well, some of those were maybe pool A's that we thought might, might fall. So I don't know if we, did we take like Hobart or Oswego state in that, in that draft? Oswego state, definitely not. Okay. Yeah. All right. One more here, Matt from Rob Hudson left this comment on the previous uh, episode on YouTube says Massey has a very clear SOS calculation. Your efficiency ratings have five SOS columns. Is there one of them that is comparable to Massey's? Matt, this is this is a good question, a chance to explain the uh, the treasure trove of information presented in in the uh, in all of the the data presented on d3datacast.com. Yeah, do you want to take this one or do you want me to do it? Well, I could scroll down to the bottom of the page and read the brief explanation you have, but I don't know that that is even complete for truly answering this question. Okay, yeah, no, I'll take this one. So yes, I have three, five lines that are labeled as SOS on the efficiency ratings on d3datacast.com, and I will go through each one. Uh, no, none of them are directly comparable to Massey. Uh, so as I understand it, Massey rating strength of schedule is um, the equivalent to a hypothetical team rating that would produce the same number of expected wins for any given team. So like if a team had four games remaining and the Massey percentages gave them like three expected wins, then that would be 0.75 wins per game. So that would be what rating against this team would yield 0.75 wins or 75% winning percentage. So that's Massey's SOS calculation. Mine isn't isn't any of those necessarily. So I have the SOS win 50 column. So that is what is the rating of a team um, against which, or sorry, what is the rating of a team that would be expected to go 500 against this team's schedule? So if you're looking at, at, at Calvin's schedule, kind of what at what line would a team expect to win half of their games and expect to lose half their games? Um, and I think for Calvin, that's about uh, plus 10 in efficiency margin. Um, so that's one way to do strength of schedule. And in a sense, that's like the median SOS, your opponent SOS. So like against half the teams, you'd be favored if you were at that rating and against half the team, you'd be uh, unfavored if you were at that rating. The next column SOS opponent efficiency margin, um, EM, that is the average efficiency margin of all of your opponents. So that's a different way. That's just taking all the teams you've played to date. What is their average rating? Um, and, and the difference between these first two is that you could have very disparate strengths of schedule that have the same opponent rating. So if you play a t like 10 games against teams who are plus 15, uh, a top five team might be expected to win both of those games. If you played a game against team that was plus 30 and then a game against team that was zero average, then your average rating would still be plus 15, but you'd probably be expected to lose one of those games and to win one of those games. So it's just a different way to look at um, maybe what a strength of schedule is. Because when it comes down to it, there's no one way to say this is a team's strength of schedule. It's this is a team's strength of schedule given this method, right? Um, the next two columns are just opponent offense and opponent defense in an average sense. So on average, what are the offenses and defenses a two teams have played? So if you want to dive in and say, hey, Randolph-Macon is putting up really low point totals, um, SOS opponent defense might give an indication of why they've played some of the best defenses in the country. Um, and then the fifth column, SOS future, that is the average efficiency margin rating of 
all of a team's games not yet played to date. So future strength of schedule, what does that look like? Have they played all of their tough games or do they still have more to come? So those are the, all the five. They give a little bit of a different indication of the teams that um, any given uh, program has played or will play. Um, and there's just a little bit of a different look. So, so no one is not maybe directly comparable to Massey. They're all using slightly different methods, uh, but all methods that give you some view into a team's team strength. So while they may be different, maybe arrived at differently, based on your explanation, I would say probably the SOS opponent EM column would be most similar to probably the strength of schedule that you would find on Massey. Yeah, I think I think they're both a little bit different though. So you'll still see some that are that are that are that are very different, um, and you'll see those the most in a team. Like if you've played, so like Emory right now has played Guilford, and then they've played a bunch of teams who are not really in um, inside the top one hundred. A team like Calvin has not played any team as good as Guilford, but they've played a lot more teams that are kind of like 20, 30, 50, 60, where Emory hasn't played those games. So they're very close on the opponent efficiency margin strength of schedule, but they're quite different on the win 50 uh, strength of schedule margin. Because to, to go to go 500 against Calvin's schedule, you'd have to be better than to go 500 against Emory's schedule. Uh, Massey's maybe like two-thirds towards the SOS win 50 mark, but his is still, again, again a different different method. You know, just to repeat, I said SOS opponent EM, not win 50. That's what you said, yes. But I, I don't know if I agree that that's more close to his. Oh, okay. Fair enough. And thus ends the mailbag. I want my Christmas card back. Okay. All right. All right, Matt, we do have one thing uh, to take care of here, and that is to thank our Patreon supporters. We have a new great job team supporter, Matt, that we need to give our shout out. Thanks to Eric Mack for joining the crew and uh, joining the team here as a great job team supporter on Patreon. We couldn't do what we do without their support. We couldn't we couldn't just hand out everything we hand out, Matt, on d3datacast.com without uh, these fine people helping make it happen so that we can do it without ads and without paywalls. Check out, check out patreon.com slash d3datacast for more information on uh, how you can uh, consider supporting us and what we do as, um, you know, really we look to support the Division Three basketball community. Yeah, we hope you enjoyed the show. We hope you enjoy the data on d3datacast.com, the regional rankings, the efficiency ratings, the score predictions for men's and women's basketball, everything. So use that. No ads on the site. Thank you so much to these supporters, Zach. Uh, good job team. A great job team. And a Merry Christmas team.